started this sermon series, Find Your Footing. And uh, in, the, in the series, uh, as I introduced it last week, we can have a tendency, when, if you're hiking, to lose your footing, uh, especially on the ups and the downs of the, of the mountain trail. It's not so much on the flat ground, it's when we're going down the decline or even the, uh, the incline that our, that our foot can slip out from under us. And in the similar way in life, when we're going through the ups and the downs, the turbulent times, we can feel like we lose our footing. And so this morning, I want us to, as we uh, get into this next sermon, I want us to use our imaginations again. Okay, we're going to go back to the mountain trail here again, and, uh, and you and I, we're going to take a little hike together uh, today. Now, it's a beautiful day. It's not 105 out today. If we're going to use our imaginations, it might as well be a nice day, right? And while we're at it, you're like 22 years old, okay? So <laughs> make it as good as we can, right? Uh, we're in the prime of our lives. We're going to go on a, a good, strenuous hike. And uh, we start off, and we're headed up the mountain. It's a, it's a good incline. There's a lot of switchbacks. We're going back and uh, forth and uh, we're making our way up to quite the elevation. And as we're going up, we've been hiking for a while now. You can feel the, your shirt is a little bit damp from the, from the sweat, and you can feel it on your brow. In fact, as we've been hiking now for almost a couple hours, our, 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 our face is down. We're just trying to tip, put one step in, in front of the other, and we decide when we make it around the bend up here, we need to take a break. And so we're, we're making our way around the bend, and we get here, and we're going to take our backpack off and grab a drink of water. And, we've, and our eyes have been down for a while, and we look up as we uh, take our rest, and the view before us is just spectacular. I mean, there's a, there's a clearing in the trees, and you can see at least a mile out. And it's as beautiful as anything you can imagine. You can, every shade of green dances off the trees as they are at different elevations and the sun comes and hits it just differently. At the bottom, as we look down, there's a, there's a, a river that snakes across the bottom of the ravine and it opens up to this big oval lake. And the lake is beautiful with different hues of green and, and, uh, and blue bouncing off of it. There's a bird that flies over the lake, and he, and he takes one of those dive bomb, di bombs trying to catch his lunch. And in the corner of the lake, there's two deer that are uh, peacefully getting a drink of water. The sky above the tree's horizon, it, uh, the tree line above, is, is as crystal clear blue as you can imagine. But there's little wisps of clouds that make their way across and change moment by moment. As we look upon this beautiful scene, we're just so moved that naturally we want to praise God. It is so beautiful. And you think, wow, my God has created all of this just by speaking it into being. And it feels like as we gaze across the valley and we see the beauty that is before us, the cares of our world, the troubles in our lives just kind of fade away even for a moment. And the beauty and the bigness of God has a tendency 
to do that. In fact, this morning we're going to look at the passage, and, and my prayer all week has been, God, help us just to see you in your glory. Because I really do believe that as we talk about finding our footing in this topsy-turvy world, our view of God has a huge impact on how we react to everything that is going on around us. If we could just for a moment get a glimpse of God's bigness, of his greatness, of his glory, it would transform the way that we see everything going on around us. Who, who we understand to be God to be changes everything. And so my prayer, I, I admit I've been praying all week, God, give me words to speak that are beyond what I know to say. Because God is far greater than what I could ever try to comprehend or express. My prayer all week is that God would just show us his glory. So let's go before the Lord and ask him one more time to speak to us today. Father God, as we turn to your word in Isaiah 40 this morning, we pray that, that you would really just meet us here now in a special way. God, I pray that uh, as we contemplate what your scriptures say ab about who you are, that it would become more real in our mind's eye and in our heart, that we would really see you for who you are. God, even the scriptures that we're going to look at this morning say that you can't be comprehended, that we can't quite fathom who you are. And so, God, we just ask that uh, by your grace, we might get a bigger glimpse, that we might see you in more of your glory and your greatness. And so, God, we just ask and pray that you would speak to us now and meet us where we are at in this moment. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was in school, uh, the teachers liked to do a, a, a game, and maybe you've done this as well. They'd put a big jar of jelly beans out. And then you had to try to write down on a piece of paper how many jelly beans you thought were in that jar. And I was the kid that would try to count them from the bottom of the jar to the top. And then I'd try to count around it, and then I'd try to estimate how many would be across in the jar. And I'd have this whole elaborate uh, calculation, and I'd write down 275. Put it my piece of paper in the hat, and the next day, uh, the teacher would look over all the estimates, and, she said, and she'd say something like there was 5,000 jelly beans in the jar. I mean, I was always way below. I always far underestimated how many jelly beans were in the jar. And I don't know if you were any uh, good at that type of a game, uh, because I wasn't. But my experience is I far underestimated the jelly beans. I think all of us have a tendency to go well beyond that and far underestimate how big God is. Now, this passage in Isaiah 40, and we're picking up where we left off last week. We're going to, be, we're going to start at Isaiah 40, verse 12. In fact, if I was to pick out any passage in all the Bible that tries to paint a picture for how big God is, this is where I would turn. It's a magnificent pi uh, picture that Isaiah gives to us here in this passage. And to try to paint the picture of how big God is, he, uh, 
he gives us two comparisons. The first thing is he compares God to the, to the universe, to the size of the universe. I'm not going to read all of this straight through. We're going to kind of take this one section at a time. And so the first comparison is found in verse 12. Isaiah 40, 12, it says, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Or with the breadth of his hand? The breadth of his hand is from the tip of his pinky to the end of his thumb. Who, has measured, who with the breadth of his hand has marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on a scale and the hills in the balance. So Isaiah asks these questions in which we obviously know no one has done that. He's clearly pointing us to how big God is and he looks at the things of the earth and he points us to the heavens. Now he says the heavens fit into the breadth of his hands. Now for, for in Hebrew thought, the heavens that is used here is not where God is and where we hope to go after we die. Uh, the heavens that is being used here to speak of the stars and, the, and really the whole universe. He says the heavens fit into the breadth of his hand. And so let me try to paint a picture here. I have a few pictures. Uh, the first is this is our planet Earth, right? Now, our planet Earth is very large. In fact, I looked up, it's 24,901 miles around the Earth. It's a, it's a lot of, it's a big planet. Now, most of it is covered by water, right? And, uh, and yet we have, now I learned seven continents. Dawson is in school. I, I think he learned that there's five continents, right? You, you learned seven? Oh, okay, seven continents. I'm sorry. Uh, for some reason, I thought he was, it was five. Uh, and I looked up online. There's some people that say there's five continents, six continents. I learned seven continents. Good. Dawson learned seven continents. We're all on the same page. There's seven continents. But more, m the majority of it's uh, uh, water, right? Now, this is the earth. And if we were to back up, we know that the earth fits into a solar system. And uh, the sun is obviously at the, at the center of the solar system. Now, as big as our Earth is, the sun is 109 times bigger than the Earth. So I don't think this picture is in scale, but uh, the point is the sun is way bigger. In fact, Saturn, another planet in our solar system, is nine times bigger than the Earth. And so our Earth is huge, but there's things in our solar system that are much bigger. And the Earth is 93 miles from the sun. Now, our sun and our solar system fits within, and we back up again, within the Milky Way galaxy, right? Now, this, now in the Milky Way galaxy, our sun is going to just be one little dot among all these dots. In fact, I, I, I looked it up and it seems like this is a big range, but there is somewhere between 100 to 400 billion stars in the galaxy, in the Milky Way galaxy. Not millions, billions. Uh, uh, somewhere like 
100 to 400 billion stars. Now, that's, that's a lot, obviously, right? And, uh, and if we are somewhere in this, they say about three-quarters of the way from the center, one of those little stars represents our solar system. Now, to put this in perspective, if our solar system is the size of a quarter, then the Milky Way galaxy would be equivalent to North America. That, that's how small we are in the Milky Way galaxy. Now, I tried to uh, give us another frame of reference because to me this is quite amazing. We're going to do a, another little experiment. Hold your forefinger and your thumb up as close together without touching. Okay, that's about one millimeter, right? Now, uh, keep that. You can put your hand down, but keep that uh, image in your mind. One millimeter is going to represent one light year. Now, uh, in, in our little equation here, this is one light year. And so one light year is, is a massive amount of distance. Now, keep in mind that little light year, that, not, not so little, it's 5.8 trillion miles. And uh, it's, a, it's a huge amount of space. But in our solar system, like, uh, we're, not a, we're not even we're close to a light year across. So this is, now what I want us to uh, understand is if this represents a light year, which I said is uh, 5.8 trillion miles, the Milky Way galaxy across it is 100,000 light years across the Milky Way ga galaxy. Now if this is a light year, that would mean that from here to where? To the first row is the galaxy? No. It, uh, to the back of the sanctuary? I measured this all out. I did my calculations. I think I'm accurate. Uh, we'd have to go from here to the end of the parking lot to the uh, block fence or to the block wall on that side of the parking lot. That's the galaxy if this is a light year. 100,000 millimeters, 100,000 light years, which is equivalent to 328 feet using our analogy. That's huge. And we're like a fraction. The earth is like a fraction of that. That's how big the galaxy is. Now, one last picture. There is a cluster of galaxies. The Milky Way galaxy, this picture is taken from 100 million light years away, which is as far as the telescopes can reach. And, they and, they, and there are two trillion known galaxies, one of which is the Milky Way galaxy, in which the Earth sits is so small within that galaxy. Now, if we can begin to get our minds around that, hear what Isaiah says. It all fits within the breadth of his hand. God's got the whole universe in the palm of his hand. That's your God. That's how big God is if we can just get our, if we can just begin to get a picture of how great and big and majestic this God is. 
And Isaiah will say over and over again in this passage, who can grasp it? Who can comprehend? He says, for example, in verse 13, who can fathom the Spirit of the Lord? The obvious answer is we can't. But, we, uh, but these comparisons help us to try to begin to understand how big and glorious and great he is. That's the first analogy, to compare God to the size of the universe. The second comparison that is given here in this passage is that it compares God to the power of the nations. Isaiah 40, and now I'm going to read verses 15 through 17. Surely the nations are like a drop in the bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the island as though they are fine dust. Lebanon is not sufficient for altar fires, nor its animals enough for burnt offerings. Before him, all the nations are as nothing. They are regarded by him as worthless and less than nothing. Now we read that, and the point of the passage is not to say the nations don't matter. In fact, if we say the nations don't matter or don't have any power, then the whole comparison falls apart. Because what we have to understand is, first of all, that nations are extremely important. They are powerful. In fact, the quality of your life depends very much upon the, uh, which nation you live in. The nations and the leaders that we, uh, that we have over our nation or over any nation influence so much of our lives. They influence the economy. They influence the food we eat and the quality of food and, and the supply of food. They influence the education we receive and the type of jobs that are available to us. They influence whether uh, we are able to retire and what age we could retire comfortably at. We, they influence the safety of our communities. So in other words, nations are very important. They uh, have great influence over our lives. And, I, and Isaiah says the nations are like a drop in the bucket. Their power and their influence are like nothing compared to the power and the influence of God. They're like dust on a scale. And so, yes, nations matter a lot. And what, nation, and what a nation values and what it says that they promote are important. But compared to God, they are but a moment, and, they, and then they are a part of the history books. They come and they go. Isaiah 40, I'm picking up again now at verse 23, it says, He brings the princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground than he blows on them and they wither, and a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. So what Isaiah says here is that the nations and the kingdoms of this world rise and fall before God. Just as easily as our chest rises and falls every time we take a breath, the nations of the world rise and fall before God. Now, breathing matters. It's very important, right? But it's easy for us. It's not worrisome. It's not hard. And God is more powerful. He's in control of all the nations. These are the two comparisons that Isaiah gives us in this passage. They're quite remarkable. What could be more powerful than the nations? What could be bigger than the universe? And, uh, uh, and Isaiah says they're, they're, they're so small compared to our God. The greatness of God, as much as we try to grasp it, 
It is really beyond our full comprehension. We're just asking God to give grace to our finite minds to begin to get a picture of who he really is. That God is all-powerful and all-knowing and without any evil. If you had a big 50-gallon uh, drum of bird seed and you had one little speck of sand, one little grain of sand in the bird seed, you'd say the bird seed was still, the, the drum of bird seed was still pure bird seed, right? Still pure grain. And yet God doesn't have even a speck, even a grain of evil in him. He's pure holy, pure uh, perfection. There is nothing in the universe that he does not perfectly rule over. He has complete sovereignty. The sun rises and sets because of his will and good pleasure every day. The go a government rises and falls because of his will, good, his will and good pleasure over and over again throughout human history. All acts are ultimately for his glory. God has created the world and sustains it every second of every day. He spoke the world into being and he holds it together by the word of his power, moment by moment by moment. And when we talk about finding our footing in this topsy-turvy world, the idea that it is even topsy-turvy is our perspective. And that perspective, I would say, is very legitimate. It's a difficult world that we live in, in a difficult time that we are in right now. However, from God's perspective, he is not rattled. One little bit. He is greater, he is more powerful, he is sovereign, he is in control, he is Lord over it all. He is Lord over the universe, he's Lord over this earth, he's Lord over your life, he's Lord over our church. Nothing that ever happens around him, he, he looks at it and says, oh man, what am I going to deal with? How am I going to deal with this now? God is sovereign over it all. He's much bigger. And we can even begin to get our minds around. The Lord sits on his throne above the earth. That's what verse 22 says. He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, and its people are like grasshoppers. You've been on the plane where you look out the window, and pretty soon the buildings begin to look like toys, and uh, the cars like ants, and eventually you can't even see people. And then we get that picture of the earth from, from space. To say we're like grasshoppers is generous. We're so very, very small compared to God. Now, if all of this is true, and here's where I'm going to transition the message to thinking about how this applies to our lives. If all of this is true, if this is how big God is and how small we are in comparison to him, then what should we do with that knowledge? In, in other words, what should we conclude from that? Because I think it would be very easy to conclude that if that is how big God is and that's how small we are, that we could have very little to do with a God like that. Like, why in the world, if God is, has all of this in the palm of his hand, would he care about your life? 
Why would he care about the little things going on in your life? We could easily say, surely if we are that small, that this big God would not care about me. I'm not important enough for God to care about. Or I'm not going to bother God with my little prayer requests. He's got much bigger things to worry about. Or when something bad happens, we can say, God must not have been uh, paying attention. His mind was on that corner of the galaxy over there, not my little insignificant life. And these are the thoughts, the rational uh, conclusions that we could come to that Isaiah expresses then in verse 27. He says here in verse 27, I'll read 27 through 31. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God. He has no beginning. He has no end. He's eternal. He's infinite. He is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. In other words, all the little hidden places in the earth, the nooks and the crannies, he's the creator of it all. He will not grow tired or weary. And his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. And they will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. You see, this... This is, this is the conclusion that after looking at the bigness of God that, that uh, Isaiah comes to, his logic traces this all out and he says, after the bigness of God has been established, he says that God is so big that he can enter into the little details of our lives. Like that's how big God is. He can rule over the entire universe and he has created it all and he also creates the little Adam. He's so big that there is nothing that could happen that he is not able to comprehend or to understand. And so if we were to go back to the mountain trail again and we're looking out over this magnificent vista and now we turn our attention down to the things right in front of us and we look at the uh, and we look at the leaf that is before us. We know the intricate, and we see the intricate detail of the veins on the leaf. And we look at the, down at the ground below us, and we see the little ants building their homes. And, uh, and even on the dirt, there's, there's little flecks of dirt that seem to sparkle as the sunlight catches it. You see, God is not only the God of the big stuff, he's the God of the little stuff because he is so big. He's so everlasting, so infinite. Uh, he's the God of not only the big universe, but the nooks and the crannies of the earth, all the little things. There is nothing that is in your life that he cannot be Lord over. And so God's, and so what does Isaiah say here? If this is our God, he says, hope in the Lord. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. Even young men lose their footing. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. 
You see, we have to put our hope in God. If we hope in ourselves, uh, we don't have the strength to do it. Our abilities and talents and resources are limited. If we hope in our government or in our country or in our leaders, we're bound to eventually be frustrated. If we hope in our society that it'll eventually get better, that it'll eventually support the moral values that we have, that it'll educate our kids well and provide for us the good life, it will eventually end in frustration. If we hope in fun and entertainment and the, and the next vacation to bring peace to our hearts and rest in this crazy world, then it, then it will not provide what we are ultimately looking for. God says, hope in me. And the thing is, we can take a great, we can uh, place our confidence in God because he know, we know that he cares for us. He cares deeply even about the small things of our lives. He cares about your family. He cares about your work and your relationships. He cares about your resisting temptation and your struggles and and uh, your difficulty in placing your reliance upon him. He cares about your emotions, sadness, your hurt, your anger, the emotions that you have of compassion towards others, the loves of your life. He cares about those things. He cares about if you get a parking spot at the mall or not. I mean, all the little things. God is so big, he can care about it all. Think of something so uh, small that you don't think he cares about. He's big enough. He can handle that. He cares about your health. And he knows the day on which you'll take your last breath. And he cares about you so much that one day he cares to call you home to be with him. God cares about us so much that he challenges us to put our hope in him. And if we do serve this big of a God, he is worth putting our hope in. Because he can change everything. When the world feels like it's spiraling out of control, it's not because God's got it. He's bigger and he is more powerful. Isaiah uses one more analogy here that is just such a beautiful analogy. We have to draw attention to it before we close. He says that those who hope in the Lord will soar on wings like eagles. Isn't that a beautiful image too? The eagle is our national bird for a reason, right? It's a, mag, uh, it's a majestic type bird. It can fly so high and for so long. It can just go and go and go, and it looks so uh, beautiful as it does. Those who hope in the Lord will rise up on wings like eagles, will soar during difficult times, will have strength and perseverance. As we kind of highlighted last, last week, um, it's been a difficult past few years, to say the least. And, uh, and we all have had our own ups and downs through it all. And uh, for me, the, the lowest low point happened earlier this year. Like, I got to a point where it was, felt like a, a breaking point to me. It was, in fact, it was one of the most difficult periods of time that I've ever had in my entire life. It was really hard. And uh, I feel like I'm still processing it, 
and, uh, and I'm still growing from it. I'm still trying to grow in my, in my hoping in the Lord through it. But I didn't handle it so well all the time. Like, I broke down. And, uh, and as I have tried to reflect upon why was this so hard for me, I think it does boil down, at least in part, to the fact that I was not hoping in the Lord that I was trying to control things myself. I think all of us have the desire to try to control things in our lives. And when it feels like it's out of control is when it feels like the world is very topsy-turvy. We want to control things. And what I think God is saying here in this passage by helping us see how big he is, is he's helping us, he's challenging us to hope in him because He's big enough to be in control. And I know that's kind of easier said than done. Yeah, that's what we expect to hear in church. It's really what it all boils down to. It's the Christian life. That can we hope in the Lord? In fact, we're going to turn to the uh, Lord's Supper and the communion table. And uh, as we do... I just believe that God wants to say the same three words to us over and over again. Hope in me. Hope in me. Hope in me. In fact, it is at the communion table that we are reminded of how much God loves us. Because what because this was first initiated by the God of the universe becoming a baby born in a manger. Like the invisible God took on a human body and, uh, and grew up to live a perfect life, but he set aside all the privileges of heaven. He didn't, have, he, he didn't display the infinite power that he had uh, all the time or, or show us his full glory while he was here on earth uh, in the, the person of Jesus. Now, Jesus set that all aside to show us how much he cares for us. So in other words, he realized that if we saw him in all of his glory and all of his bigness, so to speak, we could not handle it. And so he veiled himself with a human body so that he could enter into the nooks and crannies of our life. And as he uh, lived a perfect life, he then went to the cross and died a perfect death for us. If we can just get our minds around that, Jesus is the one who created life, and he holds life together by the word of his power, and he gave his life so that we can have eternal life. And so that is why we come to this communion table, and we hear the words of Jesus spoken to us again and again, in which he says, Hope in me. Hope in me. Hope in me. And so I'm going to just invite us for a few minutes before we take the elements together to turn our attention to Jesus and ask in the silence of this sanctuary just to pray, God, speak to me. Show me how great you are and may I hear those words afresh. Hope in me. Let's enter into the 
a time of prayer. As we do, if you don't have your communion elements, just simply hold your hand up and the ushers will come and bring you a cracker and some juice. But other than that, we're just going to be silent before the Lord. If you need the communion elements, hold your hand up until they get there. take out the cracker and we hold it in our hands. God's word says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now the cup. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. God's word goes on to say, For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I'll close our communion time. As I do, I'll invite the worship team forward and the prayer counselors. If you'd like to come and to receive prayer today, uh, the prayer counselors would love to spend a moment in prayer with you. Let's stand as we uh, pray and then sing this last song. Father God, I thank you for the 
words that we've looked at this morning, they are a, such a, an incomprehensible picture of how great you are, but at least they're a picture. We try to get our minds around it. God, we thank you that you are so big. And God, I pray that what we have read in your scriptures this morning would just kind of be a seed planted in our hearts that will continue to take root and to grow. And uh, God, I pray that our visions of, how, of your greatness and your goodness and your, and your bigness and your majesty and your glory would grow in our minds every day. That, every, that as we remember the cross, we would also remember that you are so loving and that you care about us so much. God, you are such a glorious God. We thank you that we are your children. Just as the scripture says in another place in Isaiah that, that uh, you know every star by name, <laughs> so that, that means it is, no, it is no hard task for you to know each of us by name, that you know us and that you love us. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.